Father in heaven, we thank you for this privilege to be gathered here um, at this wonderful school here at UIC Southeast. And for the final message, the final time that we open your word here together, we just ask for your spirit to be present. We thank you for the way that you have been leading these past few days. Thank you for the decisions that have been made, for the way that you have shown yourself, shown your power. Father, we pray this evening that we would see it again. We have all sinned against you and against heaven, Lord. We are not worthy to be called your daughters or your sons. Father, your son, Jesus Christ, the bridegroom of the church, will forever be worthy to be called our Savior. So speak to us this evening. We pray in his name. Amen. Before I tell you that story, I want to tell you another story. So we'll get to that one. The first story is my actual honeymoon. Um, when I was getting married, I was broke. Um, now that I'm married, I'm broke. And as a student, broke. And so on and so forth. Broke. Just broke. Let's just use that word. Just broke. And, but extra broke when we were saving up for our wedding, and as we got pretty close, maybe within a few months, uh, the panic monster woke up and said, Dean, you haven't organized the honeymoon yet. I thought to myself, that's right. I haven't organized the honeymoon yet. And the honeymoon is one of the most vital parts of the whole experience. And so I was thinking, scratching my head, where can we go? Where can we go for the honeymoon? And then I would look at my bank account, and it looked like the answer was just going to be home. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we're just going to go home. It's going to be a homey moon kind of thing. Um, and there really wasn't many options. The budget did not allow for much traveling, for much exploration. And and it got closer and closer. And the panic monster just went back. He is done. He was like, there's nothing to even bother trying to wake you up for. There's nothing you can even do. Procrastinate on this one all you like. Nothing's gonna change. And so I I told I told my wife, I said, I said, babe, I'm gonna have the honeymoon. Don't worry. I'll, I'll, I'll take care of the honeymoon. Okay, just leave it with me. And she was like, okay. He said, where's we go? Where, where are we going? I'm like, <laughs> you yeah. It's a surprise, yeah. It's a surprise. You're just gonna have to wait until we get there. Um, in the back of my mind, I was thinking, well, what if she's already been there numerous times? <laughs> However, a few weeks before the wedding, and by a few, I mean maybe five or six, I got an email. And the email said, Hi, Dean. Uh, hope you're well. Came across some of your sermons online and uh, we really want you to come to our church and speak uh, for a series there for a couple of weeks. And the dates are February 10 through to February 24. And I read that and I was like, oh. Dear so-and-so, thank you for the invitation. I'm honored. However, I cannot make it because I'm actually getting married in between those dates. Sorry, uh, maybe another time. Hope that your experience is blessed nonetheless, Dean. And they're probably, I'm paraphrasing. I didn't remember that off by heart. Then they responded, oh wow, 
That's amazing. Congratulations. Have you planned your honeymoon already? I said, uh, actually, no. Funny you ask. Response, well, Dean, what if we move the dates a little bit further down and then we brought you and your wife to South Africa? And I said, you know what? I'm going to need to pray a banana. <laughs> I was like, that sounds great. That sounds like a fantastic idea. Please tell me more. And so basically, this is what happened. Four days after our wedding concluded, which, you know, it was only a day long. We flew out to Johannesburg. And there we spent three days at someone's house. A very nice house in Johannesburg. And then from that point, from that point, the real honeymoon kicked in. If I can get this thing on. Now, hold on, hold on. Wait, wait, wait. This is the worst picture of them all. You see, knowing that I was going to South Africa, I was like, well, that's great, but I'm not really doing much for that. That's just kind of happening. And I don't just want to go to South Africa and be like, hey, we're in South Africa because we're still broke. <laughs> right? What are you going to do? Broke in South Africa is the same as broke in London. Okay? You just stay at home. It's just home somewhere else. And so I was like, no, no, no. She deserves better. She deserves something special. And so I messaged all of the bridal party, got them in a group chat without her. And we had seven bridesmaids and seven groomsmen, so that's 14 in total. And I said, hey guys, I've got this crazy idea, wondering if you can help me out. You see, there's a place in South Africa, northern South Africa, uh, just north of Kruger National Park, called Pondoro Game Lodge. And it's rated as the number one luxury hotel in all of the continent. And I was wondering if maybe you guys could help out a little in making this possible. Here's the thing. It's 250 pounds per person per night. That's 500 pounds a night. I was like, I'm looking to maybe stay here for two nights. That's a thousand pounds. There's 14 of you and there's one of me. Let's talk business. <laughs> and so I asked if each of them would be willing to put 50 pounds towards this experience. And they all did. And I think I ended up putting about 500 in myself. And we spent three days, two nights, three days at Pondoro Game Lodge. Um, Basically, this is how it works. It's a, it's a rather small place, extremely isolated. You fly in to the most chill airport you've ever seen in your life. We got there, and there's no building. We flew from Johannesburg to an area called Hoitsbrit, and we got there, and there was, there's no building. You just get off the plane, and there's people over in the corner, and they have, they have like your suitcases, and they have a little scanning thing, and they're like, is this you? And you're like, yes, this is me. And they're like, okay, there you go. And you just go. That's the whole thing. 
Now, the, the, and they were a little bit stringent when we were coming back. Um, they stole my wife's hairdressing scissors. I say they stole because it passed the requirements, but that's another thing altogether. The experience was worth it. Um, and so there was only room for 12 guests at this resort. Only 12 guests. Really small, really romantic. And everyone has their own, their own um, I don't know what this thing is kind of called, but your own area. There's, this is not attached to anything, and you can't see any of the other, let's just call them glorified huts because of the shape. You can't see any of the other five from where you are. It's just, it's spread out. You have your own view. As you sit out there and have your jacuzzi, the jacuzzi is kind of out of shot, just under the deck. Um, you can watch the hippos bathe and the giraffes walk by, right by uh, what's called Oliphant River. And we had a, we had a pretty good time. And this is just the game lodge. You see, this is a safari park. This is a safari park in northern South Africa. And we would wake up at 4.30 in the morning. 4.30 in the morning on our honeymoon. And get in to a 4x4 open top. And go out into the jungle. Looking for the big six. Or was big five. Big five or six. But there's the lion, there's the cheetah, there's the giraffe, there's the rhino, and the elephant. Five, big five. That was one of the most amazing experiences in my life. We went on five safaris over the course of the whole thing. Saw everything within the first two safaris. I couldn't find the pictures. I left them at home, unfortunately. But we, we got about as, as close to lions as I am to that sofa. Uh, within, of course, the car. An elephant was maybe the distance from me to the phone there. And it was, it was just a rather surreal experience to be in the heart of Africa experiencing nature as if for a brief moment there wasn't sin separating us. Then once this concluded, we begrudgingly headed back to Johannesburg. And there I preached a two-week series um, in Johannesburg, two-week evangelistic series. 36 people gave their lives to the Lord, um, and we praise Him for that. And then we headed towards Cape Town, which is probably the most beautiful place I've ever been in my life. And we spent a couple of days there exploring. It was, it was amazing, and I know that it was God. Because a few weeks before that, like I said... It was just going to be candlelit dinners at home. And I hadn't even gone shopping. So it wasn't going to be great. But the Lord saw fit to bless us with something that neither of us felt like we deserved. And our friends, our friends really, really made that possible for us. And it's a lasting experience. Before I tell you about my experience going to heaven... Can I tell you another story? I want to tell you a story about these two people here. I doubt any of you know them. This is Marie and Clive Coutte. Shortly after I became a Seventh-day Adventist, as you can imagine, being the only Adventist at home within a Catholic household, a nominal Catholic household, uh, myself, my mom, and my stepdad, and my little brother was just a kind of innocent bystander at the point at that time. Um, 
we started to clash. We started to clash, and by that, I mean they started to approach me and question me as to why I made the decisions that I made, and why I joined some crazy church, and why I had to get baptized if I was already baptized when I was eight days old, and so on and so forth. And it got to the point, I think after about two and a half months, where my mother came to me, and my mother and I have been through a lot together, but she came to me at this point and she said, Dean, this isn't working. You're going to have to choose between your family and your God. I've been baptized, I think, for about two and a half months at this point. And so I said to my mom, I said, okay, when do I leave? And she was kind of taken aback, and she said, well, tomorrow. I said, okay. So the next day, I packed up my stuff, and I left. I walked out with one suitcase, and I just walked. And I walked until I got tired, then I sat down, and then I walked some more. And then I slept. And then I woke up. And it dawned upon me that I could never have imagined my life being at this point two and a half months ago. But here I am, homeless. And then that morning, around nine o'clock, my phone rang. I picked it up because I didn't have the number saved. And it was a friend of mine that I had, that I had met maybe three or four weeks after I, after I was baptized, uh, when I gave my first testimony at an, uh, at an event. And he called me up, his name is Clive, Clive Coutet. He called me and he said, Dean, I just felt impressed this morning to pray for you. I was like, really? He's like, yeah. And so did my family and, and, and we were praying and, and I just felt like that wasn't enough. So I, I thought I should call you and tell you that if you're going through anything right now, there's people out there that love you. And I was like, well, thank you. I appreciate that. And he said, I don't even know why I'm saying this, but if you ever need anywhere to go or anywhere to stay, just let me know. And I said, huh. <laughs> Actually, funny that you mentioned that. Explained to him the story, and within two hours, I was outside of his house in South London. And I remember feeling super nervous as I walked towards the door. And I rang the bell, and he opened the door. I walked in with my suitcase. And his parents were standing near the door. And his mom came up to me. And I think I met his mom for like... Once, for maybe a, a, a combined time of about five or ten minutes, she came up to me and she put her hands on my face and she said, Dean, I'm your mother now. And this is your home. And you can stay here for as long as you like. And you'll never have to pay rent will never ask you for utilities. You'll never have to buy your own food. This is your home. You are our son. 
It's at that moment that Christianity started to look very real to me. And I stayed there for two and a half years. And she was true to her word. I never paid rent. Never had to pay for food. Never had to, you know, buy detergent for the laundry machine. My friend Clive moved out of his bedroom and lived under his dad's computer table so that I could have his bedroom to myself. Can I tell you another story before I get to the, the last one? Tell you another story. That's actually me. This is when I went to Kenya. In 2010, as I'd moved into Clive's house, we wanted to do something a little bit more. And so we got in touch with my church pastor and we talked about a mission trip to Kenya. It was called the London Youth Mission Trip to Kenya, LYM2K. And I was invited out there before, um, maybe about a month before we had the idea to get a lot of people there. And I went to, um, this place was called Mwega Town, but I went to Nairobi first and preached for a week there. And then from there, I went to Mwega Town. And I remember saying to the people in Nairobi, hey, uh, they were like, when, when are you leaving? I'm like, well, I'm actually leaving on Sunday because I'm going to go to Mwega Town. And they were like, which country is Mwega Town? And I was like, it's your country. They're like, no, there's no way here called Mwega Town. It's like, yes, there is. M-W-E-I-G-A. They're like, no, it doesn't exist. That's how remote this place was. They didn't even know about it themselves. And so we drove about six hours from Nairobi to Mwega Town. And there was a small Adventist school in this terribly poor village. And I remember getting there kind of late, and the one thing that was on my mind is in the morning, because we got there at like two, so in the morning was gonna be in like three or four hours, I need to shower. I need to shower. I'm a shower guy. I like to shower, frequently. Amen. Hey, my brother likes to shower as well. I'm saying like, it, like, I like, if I'm not having two showers a day, I'm not a happy guy. I need to shower before I go to bed because I'm not taking my germs into my bed and my dirt into my bed and sleeping in my dirt and then I need to shower in the morning to, to wake myself up. That's just how I operate. I'm not saying you should do that. If you, can, if you want to bring dirt into your bed, that's fine. Um, but, but that's how I operate. That's how I operate. And that was on my mind. And so I woke up at five and I was looking for the showers and then I realized, I realized that there weren't showers. And that, that, was, that was okay. I've been in places where there's no showers before. There were shower cubicles, and there was, there was a stool, and there was a bucket, and there was a sponge, but there was no water. And I was like, well, where do I get the water from? So I'm walking around. I'm up before anyone else. Walk around. Where do I get the water? Is there a well or something? And if, if it's a well, then it's, it's freezing. So, you know. And eventually I got to the kitchen area of the camp, and there was some light trickling. And there was a lady in there sitting by the fire, huge fire with wood, just burning wood. And she had big um, cauldrons almost of boiling water. And we brought our basin to her and she tipped it a little and some of the water came out and filled up our basin. We would take that to the shower. You dip your sponge in, soak your body, 
and then you, you soap up, and then you just kind of dunk. And she was there every night, boiling water, and every morning, boiling water. And every time I would go and see her, her name was Elizabeth, I would try and get a little bit closer, and a little bit closer, and a little bit closer, because I noticed something about her eyes. I noticed that she never opened her eyes. Then I got close enough to realize that her eyes were almost always open. They were just completely black inside from the smoke of having to sit there day after day after day, providing water so that we could eat, so that we could shower. She was 27 years old, and she looked like she was about 50. I knew why we were there now. We built a kitchen for the school, and we built a stove, and she never had to do that again. We left, I believe, having accomplished something. Can I tell you another story? Yes, that's me without hair. I enjoyed the convict look for too many years. My wife and I went to an evangelism school. It's called PEACE. PEACE is an acronym for Practical Evangelism and Christian Education. And um, it's in the UK. It's a program that was started by one pastor, Adam Ramdin. If you've heard of the Lineage series, um, then he's also actually Clive Coutte, the one whose parents took me in. And Adam, they run that. And Adam started this school, and, and my wife and I were students in this four-month program in its second or third year, in the year of 2012. Part of this program, as you can imagine with the name, is that you do at least 15 hours of outreach a week. So Wednesdays and Sundays are outreach days. You have a lot of classroom time, a lot of studying. It was at this school where my wife uh, gave her life to Jesus for the first time at the age, I believe, of about uh, 18 years old. And, um, amen. And we were, we were going out on outreach. And I remember we, we couldn't go together because, you know, we weren't married. And they, they, wanted, they wanted everyone to go out in twos. And they didn't want to put us in a situation that we might later regret. So we went out with friends. My outreach partner's name was Benvindo Daluz. Yes, his name was Welcome to the Light, which was kind of cool. And I remember going out, knocking doors, knocking doors, knocking doors, knocking doors, and rarely ever finding anyone that wanted to speak to us. Until one day. One day, knocked at the door, and this man came down the stairs, he opened the door, and he said, hello. I said, hi, my name is Dean Cullinane, and this is my outreach partner, Ben Vindo Deleuze. We are working here, he's like, are you guys Jehovah Witness? I said, um, and in my head I was thinking, my name is Dean, and this is my outreach uh, partner, Ben Hunter Deleuze. And I was like, no. No, we're not. And he's like, Mormons. No. We're Seventh-day Adventists. He's like, so you're not Mormons? He's like, no. Come in. <laughs> I was like, okay. I walked in, sat down, and he said, do you want to give me Bible studies? And I was like, 
My name is Dean. This is our friend. You know, so stuck to the script. Canvases know what I'm talking about. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's exactly what we wanted to do. What we want to do. He's like, okay, when can, do you think you can do it on uh, maybe next Wednesday night? You guys can come back and we'll do Bible study. He's like, yep, my name is Dean. This is my Irish part of Venezuela. And we will happily do that. We came back. And he explained to us that he had studied with Jehovah Witnesses and he had studied with Mormons. And the Mormons kind of freaked him out because he heard some stuff that he didn't really understand. And you can't really blame the brother. Um, but he was really confused. And he just wanted to study the Bible with someone else for some clarity. And he just asked us, do you have your own version of the Bible? We said, no. He said, okay, good. So we started to study. His name was Mark. Mark used to be a black ops agent. Mark has killed over 200 people. Mark was a sniper. He sat on the top of buildings, hundreds and hundreds of meters away, and just popped people off. He was stationed in Iraq, and I remember him telling us that he had orders to shoot anything that he saw, because the area that he was given, they were expecting some sort of um, terrorist activity to come, and they were like, we can't take chances. We're only expecting men, but if you see anything. And he explained to me that in one day, he killed over 20 guys. Five women and eight children. Sitting in my house, in his house actually, with Welcome to the Light. And the Lord puts it on my heart to speak to him about mercy. And about forgiveness. Because I mean, what's the point of going to Daniel 2 with someone like that? You think what they need right now is Nebuchadnezzar's dream? We spent six weeks at least just talking about forgiveness. Different verses, different stories, different analogies. And I remember we were there pleading with him, Mark, trust us. God can forgive you. He can. He wants to. He really wants to. But you have to ask for it. And you have to believe that it can be yours. Mark made a decision in one of those, one of those Bible studies to accept God's mercy and to allow Him to wipe His past clean. One more story. This is not me. Nor is that my wife. This is a, this is a couple. Uh, the gentleman's name is John. 
and his wife's name is Laura. Now, uh, a little fun fact. John is mistaken for me almost every single Sabbath. Um, in England, the church is almost completely um, African and Caribbean. Um, almost all the members hail from the West Indies um, and other Caribbean islands. So we're talking about Trinidad, talking about Grenada, we're talking about um, the Dominican Republic, and we're talking about the bigger countries, Jamaica and Barbados, etc., etc. And so <laughs> we just kind of look like the same person, apparently. And so numerous times I would go to church to preach. John would be there. And afterwards, people would go up to him and say, brother, really blessed. Thank you. And it got to the point where he was just like, praise the Lord. Even years, and I mean years after I had left the continent, he's still having people go up to him and say, brother, I remember your sermon all those years ago. Still sticks with me today. Now he's telling them that it's not him. But he messages me all the time. And he'll just be simple. It'll just be simple. Had another person who thought I was you today. In fact, it's gone so far, I call him Dean and he calls me John. And not only do they get us confused, but they get our wives mixed up as, mixed up as well. His wife is half Jamaican. My wife is Brazilian. They are almost exactly the same skin color. Um, they have their natural curly hair. They have their very identifiable uh, cheeks and a beautiful smile. And so we are often uh, mistaken for one another. In fact, there was even a time, I'll tell you, that we went camping together um, with, along with uh, my, my wife's sister and her husband, the six of us, and then one of our friends to hold the candle. And... Um, and Laura actually came up to me and took my arm. And then we looked and we were like, oh, you know? And I was like, great, it's contagious. It's contagious. This is the four of us together. That's me when my beard was a little bit more manly. Um, that's me over there, by the way. If you thought that was me, that's not me. And we're deliberately not sitting next to our wives just to put a few people off um, to see if we'll, we'll fool anyone. But this... This is a, now let me tell you a story. Let me tell you a story. A year after I was baptized, I was invited to preach at a church, Hanwell Seventh-day Adventist Church. And I was invited to preach there with a friend of mine whose name is Andrew Fuller. And he, was a, a, a very, he is a very well-known preacher in the UK in the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And so he kind of led out. Uh, we'd done a sermon each, but he kind of mentored me through it and helped me through it. And this was my first series. It was three weeks, every night, no breaks. Um, so it was, it was a lot of fun, but it was very intense. At the end of these three weeks, Laura, um, Laura got baptized. I'll say amen. That's fine. Uh, Laura got baptized. She gave her heart to the Lord. And at this time, she was engaged to John. So she got baptized and she was engaged to John. And she came to me and she was like, uh, Dean, you know, thank you so much for how the way the Lord used you, etc., etc. Uh, I'm engaged. And I was like, oh, okay, congratulations. She's like, but he's not Adventist. And I was like, well, I figured because you just became one today. Because she actually wasn't, you know, she didn't grow up in the church. She grew up knowing about the church, but not in the church. 
And so she was, a, she was a new convert. And they were engaged, and they were both, you know, they were both kind of in the world, doing their thing, having their kind of couple life. And she told John, she was like, even though we're engaged, um, I'm still planning on marrying you, but I want you to know that God is a big part of my life now. And so... They got married shortly after that. And I tried to stay in touch with Laura. We lost touch for a little while. But then when after, after my wife and I got married, which was a few years after, after they did, I think two years, we started a Bible study at our house. And we invited some friends. And one of my wife's friends um, brought Laura. And I was like, Laura, I haven't seen you in forever. She's like, yeah, you know, you know, this is my friend. and I heard you guys were doing Bible studies. And I just really wanted to come. So, okay, praise the Lord. And so she would come. And I would lead out in these Bible studies. And we would study every single week, every Friday night. And we would have Bible study. And then we would have soup. Bible study and soup. And in England, soup is great because it's cold. And everyone wants soup. Um, and so we would have soup. And then we'd get talking. And, and after a few weeks, um, you know, we started, we were like, okay, let's have prayer time. And. We'd have prayer requests, and we'd ask Laura, hey, what do you want us to pray about? She's like, I want to pray for John. Please pray that the Lord can win John. Okay, yeah, let's pray for John. And so we're praying for John every single week. And sometimes, because John would come to pick her up, he'd drop her at Bible study, he'd go, and he'd come and pick her up and take her home. And so sometimes we'd just be like, hey, Laura, just kind of stay in here with us. Let's talk. Let's talk about this and talk about that. And eventually John would come and knock on the door, and he'd be like, hey, Laura, let's go. And then she'd be like, all right, got to go. And then eventually he'd knock on the door, and then he'd come inside. He'd be like, Laura, let's go. And then eventually he'd be sitting down, Laura, let's go. And then eventually we'd be like, hey, John, what do you think about this? And now we're talking. Got him in. And we're praying for him. And then before, before long, Laura and John are now attending the Bible studies. Yes. And we're having Bible studies every week. And John's got questions. And he's got a lot of questions. But Laura's got even more questions. And so we're answering these questions. And it's great. We're having a great time. And I could see. I can see the Holy Spirit working on this young man. I can see the Holy Spirit speaking to him. I can see the convictions. And the thing about John is he's an amazing Frisbee player. You know, Frisbee, ultimate Frisbee. He played for England. And so he would often have tournaments and games uh, on the Sabbath. So that was always a thing for him. How am I, how am I going to do Frisbee? And also, he had a genuine chance of doing that for his career. And, and, and do this. When, when my wife and I left to go to, to come to the, to the United States, he still wasn't in the church. And it had been three years. And if anything was keeping us from leaving, it was that. I was like, but John hasn't given his life to Jesus yet. And it was pulling on my heart, but it just felt like the Lord saying, Dean, listen, this is what I'm calling you to do. You've done your part. Okay, cool. So as we left, um, my darling sister and her husband took over the Bible studies. And so they would keep going, keep going, and keep going. And then, and I think this was maybe about a year and a half ago, but I could be wrong. And, and I've got a few more pictures here to show. Uh, this was the brother, if you were here this morning, that was getting really excited at the front um, when my wife and I had our wedding kiss. Uh, but he, we, we had this preaching event called I Will Preach for Jesus out in the streets of London. And there's Laura and John. You can see that Laura is really enjoying this. And John seems to have something, something to think about. 
he's quite contemplative um, as he's listening to these sermons. And even when they're handing out literature, he's just reading it himself to try and figure out what's really going on. And about a year and a half ago, uh, John gave his life to the Lord. He was baptized at the same church that Laura was baptized in all those years ago. Now, he serves as the youth leader in that church. And I cannot express in words what that means to me. I remember when they sent the video and we were, we were, our, our Sabbath was coming to an end. And they, theirs had really kind of just begun. Or theirs had come to an end and ours had just begun. I don't remember. Um, I remember watching that video. And I felt a kind of joy that I just never felt before. The extension of the story of Laura and John is this. I know for a fact that you have never met someone that wants to be a mother as much as Laura does. I'm sure of it. I'm positively certain that you haven't. Laura just had this desire that could not be quenched to be a mother. However, she had some medical problems and she was told by numerous physicians that she was never going to have children. And that broke her. And we kept praying. You know, she was, she was reading. She's like, okay, you know, I'm going to go vegan. I'm going to really look after my health. I'm going to see. I'm going to get really fit. We would go to the gym together every day after work. I'm going to do everything I can to try and change that. And every time she would go and visit the physician, they would say that there's no chance. So, with this great desire to have children, John and Laura went into the foster care business. And they took a young lady um, under their care. And then... Then a year ago, they called us. We were here in the United States and they said, hey Dean, darling, we've got some news. Okay. Laura's pregnant. And then a few months ago, and I just stole this from Facebook, that's why the watermark is still on it. <laughs> They gave birth to a little girl who coincidentally was named the 25th most beautiful child in the United Kingdom. <laughs> Her name is Trinity. And she is a beautiful, healthy baby. Can I tell you the story now of how I went to heaven? Well, I just told you it. I just told you of all the times that I went to heaven. I went to heaven for really the first time when 
I was in South Africa and I saw God's creation in a way that I never saw it before. I went to heaven after that when I walked into my friend's house and was greeted by his mother who said that she would adopt me on the spot even though she had no idea really who I was. I went to heaven when we were in Kenya and I saw the smile on Elizabeth's face when she looked at that stove. I went to heaven when I glanced at Mark's face the day that he accepts God's forgiveness. I went to heaven that day when John got out of the baptismal pool and I got to go back briefly when the little girl was born. I think that's what heaven is. Heaven is experiencing the forgiveness of God. Heaven is seeing the love of God transform a life. Heaven is watching that process play out over a period of years, watching people grow into the image of Jesus. Heaven is watching new life come where we were told there would be no life there's a reason why we can stand here and say that heaven is our home even though we've never been there before it's because throughout our time here on earth God has brought heaven to us that's how you know that you're going to fit in because you've already been experiencing it here I want to leave you with just one verse in Mark chapter 10, verse 29. Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, There is no man that hath left house, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my sake and the gospels. But he shall receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children's and lands with persecution and in the world to come eternal life the gospel is not just about getting you to heaven it's about getting heaven to you it's about putting enough heaven in your heart that when Jesus comes it's just a natural next step I feel like I've already been that's why I'm looking forward to it so much. That's why I can't wait for the day that Jesus returns. Because from that point, from that wedding day onwards, heaven is going to be the best day of my life ever. Every single day. And that's worth suffering a little bit for here. That's worth struggling a little bit for here because I've seen these verses to be true. In having Jesus come into my life, I practically lost my family. But God gave me back a hundredfold here. I've got so many families all around the world. Amen. 
Mothers all over the place, fathers all over the place, brothers and sisters everywhere I look. I had to give up my job because I was selling alcohol. Oh no, Lord, what am I going to do? Really? When you can just work for the Lord? You can go wherever He sends you? Meet the people that He has all over the place? You're telling me that's sacrifice? Friends, there is no sacrifice. We have nothing to sacrifice. When we compare it with what Christ sacrificed and with the reward that we're going to receive for His sacrifice. I've been saying this all week. Heaven is yours if you want it. But I'd like to add a single word in there. Heaven is yours now. Heaven is yours now if you want it. You can experience heaven now if that's what you want. Because if there's one way to sum up heaven, it's just life with Jesus. It's not about the gold and the mansions and and, and the light. It's not about the work and the judgment. It's not about the city. None of that matters if Jesus isn't there. But Jesus can be right here. Heaven can be right now. Nothing will taste sweeter in the time that we have on this planet than those experiences that mark your life with God's fingerprints. And so I encourage you, accept the invitation. Accept His love for you. Say yes to that proposal. Wait patiently in the Lord. Put on that wedding garment. Say yes to the dress. And be ready for that wedding feast. Because God has something special in store for us after that. And I pray if I don't see you guys again there, here, that we're able to meet there. Father in heaven, we thank you. We thank you for the people that you put in our life that have pointed us to you. We thank you for the experiences that you've given that remind us of your goodness, your grace, your mercy, your love, your power, your forgiveness, your long-suffering. Thank you, Lord, that you have not given up on us, that the invitation still stands. Help us to be faithful. Help us to love as you love. Help us to show no partiality. Help us to be, what, be to others what you have been to us. Give us a foretaste of heaven even here on this sin-ridden planet, Lord. Put that desire in our hearts that others would taste it too. I thank you. God, you are so good. I thank you in Jesus' name. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio, 
and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.